Okay, we are uh, here with Frank Wolak. Frank is a professor of economics and the director of the program on energy and sustainable development at Stanford University. Uh, Frank, thanks for being here. Thank you. So um, we are talking outside of the, we just stepped out of the Austin Energy Conference 2019 and um, Frank, you've been here uh, over the years and we've talked a lot about the, the way um, competitive energy markets work and transitions from traditional markets to, to competitive markets with market pricing. And over the years, one of the issues that's come up over and over at these conferences is, is the question of how we ensure that we have su uh, sufficient reserves, a, a reliable supply of electricity in markets like Texas, where the only uh, financial incentive uh, to invest in, in Produce and production of, of electricity is the energy price itself. I wonder if you could just talk a little bit, as a, as a leading academic economist when it comes to electricity markets, if you could just talk a little bit about how you frame that problem, what you think about it, and what sort of uh, why you feel pretty comfortable that competitive energy-only markets are, are ultimately going to provide a reliable supply. Well, I think that uh, the, the, the I think they certainly can. I think the, the point that I would make is that there is there is one problem with this paradigm, uh, which is what I'll call is the reliability externality. In some sense, it goes by saying that I know that if there is inadequate capacity to meet demand because of something I did, that cost of my not taking action to prepare for the future gets shared by everyone because you can't personally curtail me. Uh, and so as a consequence, everybody has an incentive to, uh, if you like, underinvest in things like contracting for the future and things like that because that's expensive. But to the extent that you do one of two things, and Texas is pushing more on the, the first than the second, that to the extent you say, look, the way we're going to manage this reliability externality is we're just going to let the price go up to the level and whoever drops off because of the higher price uh, is the one that essentially takes the hit in terms of having inadequate capacity to meet demand. Um, what you'll get in, in that case is that you know the, the, the market can't work, but it has this risk that the prices can get very high. Other parts of the world in the United States, I think, don't have that same sort of belief in, in markets. And so what this means is you need some sort of regulatory mandate to say, if um, we're going to have an energy-only market, then you have to essentially prepare in advance. You have to have purchased your energy, and you have some sort of mandate that says folks have to be forward contracted at certain delivery horizons for certain uh, percentages of their expected demand, and if they are not, then there's a penalty. And as long as you have that uh, contracting in place and people are uh, adequately contracted, uh, suppliers will show up because they now bear the cost of the energy shortfalls because if they're short relative to what they sold in the forward market, they're the one that's on the hook for uh, making sure that you, that you, the counterparty to that contract, can purchase at the agreed-upon price. So they, in this question, in this description, are the retailers... And, and, and you're putting the onus on the retailers to make sure that they've contracted for this sufficient amount of generation in the future? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the idea that I would say is, is that, you know, fundamentally people do things because of economic incentives. Uh, I, I, my feeling is with other methods for resource adequacy, such as a capacity market, you're just simply paying 
for the existence of the capacity. The thing I like to say is capacity markets are the essentially electricity market equivalent of tenure. I get paid to breathe. Uh, but if what you really want me to do is supply, you know, services that consumers want, then have the people that want those services purchase those services in advance, and therefore you now look just like someone who is a consumer. You want those services to be supplied as cheaply as possible. So think of it as once all the retailers are fully hedged for all of their fixed-price retail load obligations, then generators, who are the counterparty of those contracts, they want to make sure that the price of energy is as cheap as possible because they have the option to either make it or buy it. Make it meaning produce it from their own units or buy it from the short-term market. So they want that short-term market to work as efficiently as possible. And, and that's the real key. And it's true that you can get it either through the fact that you say we're just going to let prices go through the roof. That has some severe regulatory challenges and some credibility challenges. Or the other is you, you, you say, look, we're just going to force you uh, to, 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 to essentially contract as a way to make sure that that happens. So, for, uh, for, so here in Texas this summer, theoretically, we have, we're well below our target reserve margins. Uh, I think we're about 7.5% or something like that. Uh, if, we had, if retailers had this obligation, they would essentially be contracting in advance for whatever we might need if we have a, a really hot, dry summer or have the kind of bad weather events that we, uh, that we might have. Well, but yeah, I mean, the, the way that I would say it is is that, you know, you, you, one way you could do it is you could just say, look, the regulatory mandate on retailers, it's kind of like the, the way I think about it is it's, it's a very much like retail bank regulation, is that I don't want you speculating with the, your reserves and using the fact that you're limited liability. It's the same thing if you're a retailer. I don't want you speculating by effectively buying energy at the short-term price and selling it at a fixed price to consumers. That is a very risky proposition if all of a sudden, you know, demand gets very high or reserves get very short and prices go through the roof. You're selling to customers at this fixed price and you can't meet your obligation. That means you're likely to go bankrupt. That's that's problematic. What I have is, is as the regulator, is just a prudency requirement on you is that if you sell fixed-price contracts to final consumers, you must have a hedge with a, a generator for, you know, the – that 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 demand that you've sold uh, as a fixed price fixed price contract that just seems you know reasonable it, it just for pure, pure risk management perspective you know that that you, you as a retailer uh, you know can't take you know excessive bargain uh, risks excuse me that are borne by the consumer yeah so I guess what I'm hearing also is that if if you if most of these contracts weren't fixed price contracts at the retail level if they were real time if they varied in real time like. A few contracts do, but most in Texas do not. You, you, you'd expect the demand side to respond to this anyway, and so you wouldn't have to worry about imposing these obligations. Exactly. So, I mean, I think the, 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 right, the way to see it is, is that, you know, if, if, if you, know, you, you have this amount of, of, enter, of, uh, of customers that are willing to take the real-time price risk, then essentially that's the hedge. The hedge is their willingness to move. But... You would not expect that those, so I would expect what those customers would do would be to say, you know, at least my preferred solution is customers buy a load shape, 
kind of like you buy minutes for your cell phone plan. You say, oh, I'm a 400 minutes a month person. And if you go over, you pay at the real-time price. In the case of electricity, if you're under, you can sell back the real-time price. The same thing I would expect that, that would happen for customers who are willing to take price risk. They'd say, right, I'm going to buy this fixed load shape. And then sometimes I'm selling back. Sometimes I'm, uh, I'm, I'm essentially buying out of the short-term market. That's an acceptable level of risk that I can manage. And that also creates the opportunities for all of the load management kinds of devices and things that we'd like to see. But, you know, you want to make sure that you, you've sort of got the, 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 the price risk fully hedged. So let's talk a little bit about um, the transition to, or the, I guess the yeah, transition to a greener electricity mix and, and particularly the growth of renewables in your state and in my state, which has been pretty marked in both places. In, in Texas, there's been rapid growth of wind, partly because we have a great resource, partly because we have very low barriers to entry, and partly because we build transmission out to the windy areas. In your state, you have lots and lots of solar. Um, that uh, you also have a good solar resource in the Mojave Desert and other, other places in Southern California, but you've also had policy-driven uh, investment in, in, in these things. So, so these, um, these, the penetration of these intermittent resources complicates or changes the nature of the grid operator's job, right? So in the past when the grid operator's job was to dispatch plants to follow load, now uh, there's a, a variable component of generation as well. And so the, the process of matching those things is, is, is different, at least, and per, perhaps more complicated than it used to be. And we, you talk a little bit today about how uh, storage might step in to, to, to help address that problem. Could you, could you just give us a little synopsis of your basic thoughts there? As we transition to more and more renewables, this kind of energy contracting approach to ensuring adequate supply, I think, becomes more and more relevant simply because capacity-based constructs make very little sense in a world in which I've got more and more renewables. Because if you think of what is the firm capacity of renewable resource, it's what it can supply under extreme system conditions. Well, extreme conditions, system conditions for a solar would be a very hot evening, zero. Uh, extreme conditions for a wind would be a very hot day that effectively, you know, there's, there's no wind. So the political decision as to how much capacity I give to one of these resources uh, is, is really running right up against the reliability desire that I have to keep the lights on. And so what the, the beauty of the energy-based uh, approach of saying if I have a forward contract for energy is that the, the renewable resource sells that, that forward contract for energy. Now what it wants to do is find reinsurance for the intermittency that it has associated with selling, say, a fixed load shape to some retail consumer. And so it approaches the thermal resources that operate very infrequently and says, look, will you provide me with insurance when my solar unit is not available? The thermal resource gets an upfront payment in exchange for essentially providing that price spike insurance that finances the, the uh, thermal resource. And together, they provide the reliability that's necessary to keep the lights on with a much, much uh, a larger share of, of renewables. So... The, this paradigm, I think, really scales well uh, to a world where we have a, a lot of uh, intermittent renewables, but it only scales because what we, we, we have is, if you think we have this mandate for retailers to purchase, then 
the renewable resources per cell, and then the renewable resources that sell this product then need reinsurance with the thermal resources that may also sell energy, but they also sell this insurance, and that's what provides the revenue stream for the thermal resource that operates very infrequently because it's providing this valuable service to back up, if you like, uh, the, the, the intermittent renewables. It also helps to finance the storage, which to, to get to the, the second part of your question, of uh, the, the storage is also going to provide insurance to the, the solar resource uh, in the form of, you know, making sure that the uh, solar energy or wind energy that's produced can then be supplied to the grid in a manner that actually meets the demands of the grid rather than when the solar is produced. So in, a, in the absence of a zero emission mandate of some kind, that your first example of sort of renewables plus a thermal resource or renewables using a thermal resource in this way is probably makes a lot of sense in a place like Southern California or Texas where you've got a lot of gas that's getting out of the dispatch mix because it's being displaced by renewables, and so it gives it another sort of valuable uh, role to play. And, and it's already there. It's probably relatively inexpensive to, to do it that way. Batteries, if you have a zero emission obligation, maybe batteries or some other zero emission resource, um, probably a little more expensive, but um, but it's it's also a new resource that has to enter and has to have an economic reason to enter, right? Yeah, yeah, no, and and, and I think that California's solar uh, resources and the pattern of production of solar sort of create the ideal opportunity for uh, the the sort of short-term battery technology just simply because of the fact that, you know, solar's production is highly concentrated and very high for a few hours in the middle of the day, which if you have a lot of solar on the system is going to really press the prices down. And then you have this very rapid ramp at the end of the day when the uh, solar goes away and thermal or some other resource has to replace it, which creates the ideal opportunity for short-term battery storage in the sense that the, the, the batteries uh, charge during the middle of the day when the solar is producing a lot and essentially discharge at night and are very, can discharge very rapidly because that is one of the strengths of batteries to essentially when prices are very high and to close that gap. And, you know, right now we're seeing in California, you know, price differences between the center of the, on average, between the center of the day and that sort of high ramping period at the end of the daylight hours, you know, that's two to three to one, which is certainly, uh, you know, starting to make a lot of economic sense for these sorts of battery investments. The, the other side of the issue on that is, is that those investments look a lot better, at least I think, if they're made in the distribution grid uh, for a variety of reasons. First reason is, is that it can avoid the need to do distribution network upgrades. Uh, the, the, the other is just sim is simply the fact that you, you typically got, you know, load pocket is issues as well. So you, it could also help you to eliminate the need to build local generation. Uh, all of which uh, sort of say that if you could get, you know, retail pricing uh, right, uh, you, you, you would hopefully get these kinds of uh, investments taking place. The other part of it is, is for the most part, 
there, there aren't, at least I'd argue, huge economies to scale in batteries. In fact, you know, the batteries are very modular. The, you know, the, each Tesla battery is, is composed of smaller batteries, and so it really is very modular, and you think it's a constant return to scale technology, and therefore having it, 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 it distributed uh, the cost hit you're going to take from doing it that way versus building a large grid-scale facility is pretty minor. Last question. You said today, you look, when you were looking at the numbers, uh, you didn't find a similar business case for uh, long-term storage. That, that there are needs on the system of the future for some sort, sort of longer term, maybe days long on occasion, backup of uh, renewables and, and other parts of the system. And you don't see the same price spread that gives you the confidence that there's a, a business case for investment in that right now. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I mean, the way to describe it would be is to say, right now, in California, we know that the, the resources, meaning just the, 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 the raw you know, energy, the wind and the solar, they're summer peakers, peaking, in the sense that we get far more wind in the summer, we get, obviously, far more solar in the summer than we get in the winter. Um, but And so what that would suggest is that for something like seasonal storage, you you should you would therefore see lower prices in the summer versus in other months of the year that would provide the business case for these longer term storage investments such as you know converting uh, electricity into hydrogen or to uh, methane um, to create what can be called green gases and then you could inject that into the uh, storage or just pipelines and use it later for the you know, sustained uh, periods where you're not getting a lot of renewables, you're just, not, you're just not seeing that right now in terms of the prices. The prices, average prices in the summer months uh, are in fact in, it's very similar to average prices in other parts of the year with the exception in the peak hours of the day in the summer, you still see uh, higher prices both uh, uh, in, in the day ahead market. So. We, we, what we would instead hope to see is lower prices in, in the summer months because, and that could happen as we start investing even more in solar uh, than we already are, getting up to, say, higher shares of, of solar in the system. We would, we would you know, maybe what will turn out is we will see this seasonal difference that does support uh, this kind of investment in these longer-term storage technologies. But as it is right now, the only thing we're, we're really seeing in, in California is this persistent sort of within-day uh, market for storage in the sense that during the, during the middle of the day, um, you know, it's just cheaper to, 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 uh, to, to store and then discharge at the end of the day. All right. Okay. Thanks very much. Sure.